As we all know, Batman played an important role in the history of Texas. Howdy. You're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share their views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. We're hosts. I'm Mike Zolkowski. And I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. And today's topic. The Six Flags Entertainment Corporation is the world's largest theme park, with dozens of parks and attractions all over the world. But to most people, the phrase Six Flags means nothing other than the corporate brand. But if you ask any Texan, they should be able to tell you exactly what Six Flags means and why this little amusement park between Fort Worth and Dallas has grown so big. Before we start, what's your favorite Randy Quaid movie that isn't his best role, Dead Solid Perfect? Uh, I'm going to go with Cousin Eddie from Christmas Vacation. That blue leisure suit is fantastic. And I'm going to have to stick with uh, Ishmael from Kingpin, the bowling Amish man. Both fantastic second place roles, but the real answer is Days of Thunder. <laughs> that is a good one. What is the origin of Six Flags Over Texas, the amusement park? It was originally the dream of a Dallas real estate developer by the name of Angus Wynn Jr. He was inspired by a trip to Disneyland in California. He had such a great time there, and he saw what Disney, Walt Disney had done with his park. He wanted the same feeling in Texas. He wanted a theme park that would entertain and enlighten the people of Texas and, you know, teach them some of the history. In 1959, he began planning in Arlington, which was just a developing suburb between the cities of Dallas and Fort Worth. He had the backing of New York investors and local politicians and Arlington Mayor Tom Vandegrift. Wynn had a singular vision for the park. He wanted to have a park that was more than just an amusement park or a carnival. His son Shannon in an interview said that Wynn hated carnival-type attractions and he couldn't tolerate poor service, dirty facilities, or uh, an impolite presence. He wanted to have a unique atmosphere. He had a couple of clear rules and guidelines of what he wanted for the park. One was that the park was to be kept impeccably clean at all times. It also, he wanted to be staffed primarily with college students over the age of 21. He felt that uh, people with a carnival or amusement park experience would have a negative effect on the atmosphere. The other thing was that new rides and attractions would be added each season in order to keep the guests coming back each year. In 1960, construction on the park began and was planned as a historical and technically correct story of Texas Under Six Flags, a park that appeals to the entire family. By August 1961, the park was completed, but they changed the name to Six Flags Over Texas because, according to various sources, Texas isn't under anything. The park would be built with sections devoted to each of those six flags, and those six flags are, of course, Spain, France, Mexico, Texas, the Confederacy, and the United States, as well as having sections devoted to the American Indians and to Lafitte's pirates. Each section had elaborate attractions with staffers and reenactors conforming closely to each theme. I can only imagine how amazing that was to walk through Texas of the, you know, old Texas. And that's the interesting thing about the park. It has a very different flavor than in what it has today. And it had a different flavor and a different feel from the standard amusement park or a theme park even in that time. There were live animals there. There was a petting zoo that included a baby elephant. Uh, there was a goat cart ride in Mexico, a stagecoach ride that took you from the Old South to the Texas section or from the Confederacy to the Texas section. In the Spanish section for the first couple of seasons, you could ride a donkey as you followed a, a conquistador on the horse. This was also a pre-regulated park. We think about safety regulations kind of, we don't think about them today. But back in that time, safety features were kind of a suggestion more than the rule. To reach the pirate section, which was called Skull Island, you rode on a large flat 
bottom raft with no rails and no life jackets. There's some great pictures on the web of people just sitting on this raft going across this river. And then in the Spanish section, there were actual Indian canoes. These were, despite what people think today that have hazy memories of that time, these were not controlled by underwater rail systems. They were actual canoes that you controlled by paddling and you didn't wear life jackets. My wife's uncle said him and his Boy Scout troop took over a, a canoe and made it go the way that they wanted it to go. Skull Island and the French section both had hanging corpses and mock Indian battles. You could see daily gunfights in the Texas section, which actually continue today. The Indian village had war dances and an Indian hoop dancer. The Confederacy section was the most interesting one. It is now called the Old South. It's very PC now. It's the Old South. But they had Confederate Army drill team. You could actually enlist or join the Confederate Army in this section of the park. So what you're telling me is in the 1960s, Sean, you could enlist in the Confederacy. In the Confederate Army, yes, at Six Flags over Texas. And then you could watch as they drilled, and they even had mock firing squads where they executed quote-unquote deserters. Above all, which kind of set Six Flags apart from some of the other parks, it was clean and fair. Uh, There was never any record of segregation or any kind of official discrimination by the park. And the official guest policy in 1965 stated... We shall consider every guest who enters Six Flags as the most important person in the world, whether he be rich or poor, white, black, brown, or yellow, Christian, Jew, or Hindu, Republican or Democrat, show-off or wallflower. Nevertheless, he is our guest. How we greet him, treat him, care for his safety and welfare, and anticipate his every need will be the determining factor of our success. We shall meet the challenge. We shall not fail. So that the words of Six Flags over Texas shall be known in favor throughout the world. And this, if I understand correctly, this was kind of the personal philosophy of when. Even though the, the Confederacy section is today very NPC, there was never any discrimination or any, any, any type of segregation or anything. Another breakthrough about the park was that for the first time in any amusement park, you could experience everything for a single ticket price. two seventy-five for an adult and two twenty-five for a child. Not even Disney boasts that kind of bargain. That was a huge deal. This was the first time anybody thought one prize for everybody before you had to buy tickets for each of the rides. Well, it's the standard today now. I mean, they, they defined and set the standard with this policy. The other things was in the, in the 60s, they added and removed rides and attractions so that each new year you would find a new experience when you came to visit. And among the additions, there were several that were very historic uh, and long-lasting in the 60s. The log ride, which is the first flume ride, is still very popular. It's in the Spanish section. The railroad was put in. The chaparral cars, those are still there. The carousel, which was actually built in the 1890s, is there. El Sombrero, which is the, the spinning Mexican hat, that's there. The runaway mine train was the first... I guess it was the first mine train roller coaster ride. They're all still in operation. They also put in the Spelunker Cave, which is my personal favorite. It was their attempt at doing it. It's a small world. And it has the strangest, weirdest, creepiest characters that you could ever find in a ride. That one actually was in existence for about 30 years. The Spelunker props, when they did finally close out that ride, they were given away to former employees, and now they're highly prized collectibles. They also added new theme areas, such as the Boomtown and uh, the Tower section, with a giant oil derrick as its centerpiece. And that's an Arlington landmark now. When you drive down the highway, you can't miss it. Puppeteers Sid and Marty Croft were hired to set up a show. In the 1970s, part of their shows, the Banana Splits and Lidsville filmed in Six Flags. Yeah, I have a particular memory when I was a child of watching Banana Splits on TV and seeing them go down the slides and stuff, and I didn't realize till much later that that was actually filmed at Six Flags. 
You probably also have a collection of horrific nightmares of, <laughs> as a child, seeing Sid and Marty Croft shows. Well, I just remember for years and years, even though they weren't pr- producing the shows, the, 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 the Croft Puppet Theater was still there. And it just struck me recently, oh, that was Sid and Marty Croft that they're talking about. So Wynn also developed two additional parks in the 1960s. One was in Georgia, which is Six Flags Over Georgia, and one is St. Louis, Six Flags Over Great America. Those he was directly involved in. But in 1969, he sold his ownership in the parks to a limited partnership under Dallas investor Jack Knox. This limited partnership, which is about 140 people, still owns the land and the park itself to this day. And this will come into into play later on as we go go through our discussion. Wynn's great Southwest Corporation continued to manage the park through a transition period until 1971. And then the management of the park was taken over by the Penn Central Railroad Corporation. The ownership of the chain of parks as well went to the Penn Central. But again, the ownership of the Six Flags Over Texas Park remained with the Knox Partnership. The Penn Central continued to expand the park into the 1970s. They gradually shifted away from the regional attractions and towards more rides and roller coasters. The most famous roller coaster is, of course, the Shockwave. Love it. Yeah, it is a really cool roller coaster. And at the time, it was the fastest roller coaster in the world. As well as the Texas Shootout, which was, if you've seen it, it's the it's the famous parachute ride that they had. It's been replaced recently. In addition, the 1950s-themed Good Time Square was added to the park. And they also built the Music Mill Amphitheater, where popular musicians were brought in to perform Spring Break and Summers. In the 1980s, along with the move away from the past and towards the licensed properties and expanded attractions, that's when Penn Central sold the management and ownership of the chain to Bally's. Spring breakout concert series in the Music Mill and themed out-of-season open periods like the Fright Fest at Halloween and Holiday in the Park at Christmas also began during this time. The classic theme areas were radically modified. Mexico and Spain were merged. France and Skull Island were almost totally wiped out by the Roaring Rapids ride. It's the largest and most expensive ride in the history of the park. And to answer your question, that's where the France part went in Six Flags. Failed just like the rest of their colonies. The USA section was largely devoted to the themed children's area, First, it was Pac-Man Land, and then when Warner Brothers took over the park, as we'll discuss later, Looney Tunes invaded in 1985. Some of the other large additions include the first free fall drop ride, the cliffhanger, the splashdown, which is also the, you know, the get drenched on the bridge ride. Yeah. And at the end of the decade, at the end of the 80s, Flashback and the Texas Giant were installed. In the 1990s, the licensing of Looney Tunes characters was a Portent of things to come. In 1991, Time Warner, owner of Looney Tunes, purchased control of the park and the management and pushed towards a standardization and greater branding of the trademarks. Gotta build that brand. Brand. Looney Tunes and DC themes took over many of the rides and shows. Uh, that was including the Speedlocker Cave, which became the much less interesting Yosemite Sam ride. A stunt show was added, and later an entire section of the park was devoted to Batman. As we all know, Batman played an important role in the history of Texas. Yes. Yes, of course. That is the loudest stunt show I've ever been to, though. People began to feel that the park had become too commercial and had lost its charm and its sense of history. In 1998, Premier Parks took over the Six Flags chain, though retaining the license agreements with Warners and renamed itself Six Flags Theme Parks Incorporated in 2000. So in the 2000s, management continued the branded marketing practices of Time Warner, but they also made some positive steps about returning the park somewhat to its roots. In 2001, the Titan, which is the world's largest roller coaster, the world's largest, tallest, and fastest roller coaster, actually, it was built. 
And that is a great roller coaster ride. In addition, they did uh, begin festivals in 2002 celebrating Texas history, and they reopened several of the classic attractions, including another of my favorites, the class, the Casa Magnetica Crazy House. In the middle 2000s, though, uh, they were seeing more visitors than ever, but the theme park, the corporate entity that had all the chain theme parks, was seeing a lot of trouble. There was a lot of investor turmoil over the costs, over the poor performances of many of the properties, over the delisting of this company's stock. That all all contributed to the chain's bankruptcy in 2009. But none of this affected Six Flags Over Texas itself because due to the unique ownership arrangement that the limited partnership had created back in 1969, they were able to maintain the park, uh, uh, the ownership of the park, and keep it safe from the bankruptcy. So an arrangement, this has kept the park safe and stable. And as it's past its 50th year, they're continuing to make some good strides towards remaining modern and vibrant. While you, you do see peaks of its past shining through even though it's really over overrun still with the looney tunes and the the time warner stuff it's too commercial it is pretty commercial so what do you remember about six flags sean well i i guess i have the most memories of six flags because pretty much there was a period of time there every year of my life we were going to six flags i remember the first time i went to six flags i was just a kid i remember seeing the the lifts the astro lift chairs and i remember uh, don't remember skull island but i don't remember i remember it being before the roaring rapids i also remember going the year that they opened the roaring rapids and it would be the same year that they did Pac-Man Land, because I distinctly remember Pac-Man Land. So there's a lot of memories there. My dad actually said when they would drive from Wink to Mississippi every summer, they would drive by Six Flags. And he said when he was about 10 or 11, they finally stopped. They spent about five or six hours there uh, at Six Flags. They left, got to Texarkana, not te- yeah, Texarkana, realized my grandmother had left her purse <laughs> and turned around and went back to Arlington to get her purse. And they had it. They had it waiting for her. Completely intact. Completely intact. And so there's a lot of good memories. Another quick memory, my uncles, my mom's brother, they lived in Burleson, which is not far from Arlington. And my uncle said they found a a hole in the fence back in the the late 60s. And so they had their own version of a season pass to Six Flags. My first memory of Six Flags was actually coincides with my first impression of Dallas as a whole. And that was when I was a, must have been a sophomore, either freshman or sophomore in uh, high school. We came up to Dallas for a band trip, band competition. And as part of that, we spent a day at Six Flags. And one of my first things that I remember about Six Flags was actually your favorite ride, the Spelunkers Cave. That must have been its last year of operation. And I concur that it was extremely creepy. And at that point was very, very old and uh, run down. So it's not surprising that it became the Looney Tunes ride. In fact, I remember coming back to my second visit years later and being disappointed that the, the Spelunkers were no longer there. Well, me personally, everyone has already made fun of me for not having ever been to Six Flags for anything. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, but I have... It doesn't really make you that much less of a Texan. Mm. Just a little bit. Well, Six Flags is interesting to me because it's always been there as sort of a... Re- it's just always been there. And it's always sort of been a landmark of Six Flags. And for a while, being more from South Texas, Astroworld represented a big piece of that. Yeah. I have a lot more memories of Astroworld than I do of Six Flags. In that vein, then there are several other key amusement parks in Texas that we'll mention, and uh, hopefully we can talk about in a future episode. In addition to, of course, Six Flags, there's the State Fair of Texas, which isn't really an amusement park in and of itself, but it does have a large carnival section. And and, uh, as we pointed out, according to his son, Shannon, 
Wynn did not want Six Flags to be the state fair at all. And as a child, I remember watching TV and seeing commercials for Hanna-Barbera Land. Which was only open for about a year. I'd never heard of this one, but uh, there's Peppermint Park. Right, it was in Houston also. I think I went there once when I was a kid. More recent and still one of my favorite parks for many reasons, is uh, Fiesta, Texas in San Antonio. You know, the whole thing's built down in an old rock quarry, and they have this amazing laser light show at night that makes you really proud to be a Texan. It's a very patriotic show at Texas. I have been to that part. I've also been to SeaWorld, which is right next door in, C- in San Antonio, uh, and that's a beautiful park as well. The, the interesting thing about Fiesta, Texas, is that it was it's actually part of the Six Flags chain now, but it was built independently, and it was... Largely inspired by Six Flags Over Texas in that it was very Texan and it took the regions of Texas rather than the flags of Texas. So you have a German section and a, and a Mexican and a Spanish section. Uh, some of the other parks that are interesting were uh, Sesame Place in, in Grand Prairie, Texas, which is not far from Arlington. That place was open for about two years uh, and it tried to compete with Six Flags. I went there once when I was a kid. It was a lot of fun, but it closed the next year. Also in uh, this area, in the Dallas area, is the Sandy Lake Amusement Park, which is very much a family-oriented and like a corporate event type place where you can rent the whole place out and have everybody come in. Another amusement park in Texas is the Galveston Pleasure Pier and the Kima Boardwalk. The Galveston Pleasure Pier actually was originally built in the late 19th century, or actually after the hurricane of 1900. Then it became a hotel and then was destroyed by Ike, but now it's been rebuilt. And then the Kima Boardwalk is similar. They're they're the pier-based roller coaster amusement park boardwalk. Very, very similar to the pier amusement in, I forget the name of it. Well, Chicago is the one I'm thinking of, Navy Pier in Chicago. Exactly. You know, I think it's fascinating, the Galveston Pleasure Pier, because it, like you said, it was originally built there in the 18, late 1800s, and then the hurricane wiped it out. It was not really a place to go when I was growing up down there. And it was only after Ike wiped out a bunch of things in Galveston that developers came in, you know what, let's rebuild this and make it a, a real destination for people. In addition, there are a bunch of fantastic water parks in Texas. Wet n' Wild, Hurricane Harbor, which is just across the street from Six Flags. There's Splashtown in Houston, the now-closed Aquarina Springs that had Ralph the Swimming Pig, and uh, my personal favorite, which is Schlitterbahn. Yes, the, I don't know, I want to say it's like the original water park. It's the oldest one I know of. Yeah, and I think it's... But it's the best. It's certainly worthy of, of uh, an episode on its own, and they've actually expanded now, and so they have multiple parks. Galveston and South Padre. Yeah, there's, there's three separate parks in New Braunfels, um, including the original park, and then there's also one in Galveston. And in, and in South Padre Island as well. But yes, that's right, South Padre. So the great thing about Six Flags, I think, is that it really encompasses the Texas experience. And for many people of our generation, of our parents' generation, especially in North Texas and Central Texas, like Six Flags was the place to go in the summer. And it really is Texas' is Disneyland. It was what it was built as. And it's still, in a lot of ways, still is. It's it's a great family experience to go to. It's not terribly cheap, but it's, it's worth it to go uh, and to experience it. And you still see the elements of the original Six Flags coming through. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstaple.com. We'd love to hear from you, so please follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast or go to brainstaple.com and leave us some feedback. Be sure to indicate whether it's okay for us to mention you on the show. You can follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm at MacSean with two N's. I am Scotticus on Twitter. If you like the show, please tell your friends, leave a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook. It all really helps us out. We hope you join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. Anyway.